When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who know the hills are alive and well. I'm Hannah Leach, a writer, musician, audio producer, and disciple of Audrey McDonald's performance of Climb Every Mountain. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and number one julie andrews stan and you can take that to the bank we are the sister duo also known as two pink productions and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them we're going to explore the good the bad and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question are these movies actually good and at the end of the day do we really care if they are Today we are talking about the iconic 1965's The Sound of Music, which is my favorite movie of all time. Julie Andrews in the glorious role of Maria, who entered the strange new world of Captain Von Trapp and captivated his seven children with a magical spell of song. Girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt into springs. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog by... Fräulein, did I not tell you that bedtime is strictly to be observed in this house? Yeah, well, the, well, the... You did, sir. And do you or do you not have difficulty remembering such simple instructions? Only during thunderstorms, sir. Here is the perfect motion picture that touches every note in the full scale of human emotions. All right, girls, you're back. Season seven, we're here. As Audrey said in our last episode, we're in our Violet Tchotchke season. And that means something different to everyone. (laughs) But just take that into your heart. Well, let's just briefly talk about what we've been up to. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Okay. So what? Since right before New Year's? basically, yeah. Oh my God. It has not been that long, but it feels like it's been a long time. Okay, low-key, it's been New Year, New Me, to be honest. Um, Not to get crazy, but... (laughs) How? I... Well, I started doing this mood tracker thing every day where you just, like, keep... Very literal, you just keep track of your mood. Yeah. And every day of this month so far, I've been in a good mood or better. Hey! I know, and I think... better than good? I, well, there's great, 
and there's good, and then there's fine. So there was actually one day where it was fine, but with dots of good. So uh-huh. I've only cried once this whole month. Okay, well, what if you're crying for like, <laughs> what if you're crying for like non-personal like for emotion? Joy? That's different, but I haven't done that either. I've maybe cried from laughing, but other than that, that's it. Shout out to Lexapro for a lot of this probably, but yeah. So cheat code, (laughs) big cheat code, it turns out. But also it's like, it could be a placebo. I don't know. It doesn't matter. How are you? How, what have you been up to? Another cheat code to happiness is unemployment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's true. I have noticed that. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like you've been in a really good mood also. Yeah. It's great to be free of that. And then last week I took a class. I took like a five day intense, very intense class to learn this editing program called Avid, which is this really archaic program that kind of sucks, but all the old editors still use it. And I've been avoiding it for years. So I was like, okay, I'll just like take a crash course in it. But I have to take a test to actually be certified in it. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I have to to take it like whenever I want. But just you actually have to study because the test has nothing to do with editing. (laughs) Like the test does not. It's like a temps test. Yes. It's like that. Got it. Or to those who don't know what a temps is because it's called something different regionally. It's your learner's permit Yeah, for driving. In yeah, Ohio, we call that the temps. I was actually saying I wish it was like the temps test because you know how they just shut your shit down the second you miss yeah. enough questions? <laughs> the AVID test doesn't do that. So you, ha- you will be answering all 60 questions. But if you miss six questions or seven, I guess, you're, you fail. Wow. So you have to get an A. That is, (laughs) that is sad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I could go on about that, but I won't. Yeah. Actually, I have one, one more thing to say. If you are watching this on YouTube, please subscribe. Okay. I looked at our analytics the other day and 63% of you are not subscribed, but you are watching. Like 63% of our watch time is from non-subscribed people. And so just hit that little button because we're so close to a thousand and I need to reach my middle school dreams. Yes. Thank you. Seriously. We're so close. Thank you very much. New season, new us, very similar to new year, new us. And I remember at the beginning of season six, we were like, it's going to be different. We're different. And then we proceeded to not be different. (laughs) But this time we actually are different. So not only will we be covering movies this season, but drum roll, please. We will also be doing some episodes on TV and some landmark albums of our time, of our youth. So you can look forward to that. We're really excited about it. It will have similar energy, obviously, but we're just going to expand our source material a little bit, which is exciting. Unless there's a guest who like really wants to cover a movie we haven't seen, we're going to try to avoid movies that we've never seen. Yes, um. especially <laughs> I I cannot sit down and watch something bad that I have no nostalgia for again. 
It just can't. It's not good for I anybody. Can't. And it also no. like I feel like it's bad for the people who did watch that movie as a kid and like love it. And it's like, why am I yeah. listening to these girls be so um like harsh, n- like nooch or harsh about yeah, like so nooch, like so uninvested. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that to you guys. I don't want to do it to myself. Yeah. So now, question for the culture: the culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. There's no way we've never had this conversation on this podcast before. We definitely have touched on it. And my opinion is so obvious, okay? Yeah, but we're going to agree. It's like the classic uh, movie musical debate that is, I would say, more modern. Should the actors in a movie musical specifically be allowed to be bad when they are singing non-diegetically? That is a hard question to break down. But to me, this is this is the La La Land debate. Um, where, okay, say for example, a character in a movie musical is a bad performer, and that is their character. Mm-hmm. And they start singing diegetically in the scene. It makes sense for them not to be good, you know, because their character's not a good performer. But the second that that character starts singing non-diegetically, I would argue that it no longer makes sense for the, the singing or dancing to be mediocre to bad. Yes, I agree. It's very subjective also because some people would consider Emma Stone's voice to be really good, for example. <laughs> um, or passable, I, I guess. Um, it's definitely passable. It's passable. I, I mean, saw her in Cabaret in like yeah. 2016, 2015. She was fine. Yeah. But this is the thing is that there's these specific roles that are like, intentionally written to be mediocre. Yes. And Sally Bowles in Cabaret is one of those people. Yeah. And so it's like Um, a casting that kind of works out. It's no hate towards Emma Stone specifically. It's more of a modern day movie musical issue that I've been noticing over and over in other things. And it's because they want to, obviously they need to cast A-list people because it's really hard to get people to come to a movie musical. So they need to get the names. And I get that. But like, Jesus, literally dub them. Like, that's what they used to do in yeah. The Sound of Music, for example, in lots of lots of huge movie musicals. If the person uh, felt that their voice <laughs> was not strong even, enough, they would just dub them. They did it even in High School Musical. Yes. Get it together. They did it in 2006. I think we can continue the tradition. I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't think it's dishonest. I think it's smart. I really do. As long as proper credit is being given, it's totally fine. I will say I can think of one really good example of like good non-diegetic performance and bad diegetic performance, which is in Chicago with Renee yeah. Zellweger when she's like, at the end when she's like, and that's good. Isn't it great? Like being really weird. Yeah. Um, and then in her non-diegetic scenes, she's like actually giving the fantasy. Yeah. That's a good example of it being done right. Yeah. Like there, yeah. and that movie is a great example too, because it weaves in and out of diegetic scenes and non-diegetic scenes. And there is a noticeable difference between the yes. two. Her imagination yes. 
and her reality, how she actually performs, how she wants to perform. They're two different things. Yes, absolutely. Audrey and I and Julia and Josh are going to see Jinx Monsoon in Chicago in a couple weeks. Yes. (laughs) Can't wait to report back on that one. So excited. All right, Audrey, you ready to educate the masses? Yeah. Okay, so I did. I had to do the notes on this one because obvious reasons. Yes. And there's a lot of information here. We're going to get into the weeds. The Sound of Music was released on March 2nd, 1965, and it is rated G, general audiences, obviously. It was directed by Robert Wise, who is most well-known for the original West Side Story film, Star Trek The Motion Picture from 1979, (laughs) Star, which... Star exclamation point, which also stars Julie Andrews and the Andromeda strain. (laughs) Those are some of his main films. But I think at the end of the day, everybody really remembers him for this movie and West Side Story. That's Mm -hmm. those are the two. The screenplay was written by Ernest Lehman, who is best known for having written North by Northwest, which I remember so clearly watching my freshman year at Tisch in a I think it was called film language of film. Maybe. They wouldn't have had you in that. That's like a film. No, it was, it was similar though. And then Sabrina. Does that mean Sabrina? Audrey Hepburn, Sabrina. Ah, okay. I was about to say timeline does not make sense. And then West Side Story, the same movie that uh, Robert Wise directed. The stage musical book. So if you don't know what that is, that means like the non-singing parts of the stage musical were written by Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss, who wrote Arsenic and Old Lace, which my high school did like before our time. Anything Goes, Swing Time, and The Great Victor Herbert. And all of this was based off of a book written by the original Maria von Trapp, the uh, historical figure herself. She was the author of the memoir, The Story of the Trapp Family Singers. She was a writer on the German version of The Sound of Music, which came out in 1956, and its sequel about the von Trapp family, but after they've come to America and struggled <laughs> to find success as folk singers, <laughs> did not know that existed, but... Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, get into that history a little bit more. But um, yes. I wanted to explain the context of this, this film adaptation of The Sound of Music because it's actually a very similar path to Mean Girls today. Like it's a, like a one, almost like a one-to-one comparison uh-huh. where you, minus the historical accuracy, that's the difference. But like, yes. um, so there were these two German films that Maria von Trapp was involved with about the von Trapp family because they were well-known in Germany. They were not known in the U.S. Stage director Vincent J. Donahue saw them and thought that it would be perfect material for Broadway. And so initially, it was just going to be a play that had songs in it, but not a musical per se. Yeah. Um, a play and- with music, as they say. Yes, some of the the songs that the Von Trapp family would sing. And it was supposed to be written by Lindsay and Krauss, which it was, and um, would just feature songs from the repertoire of the Von Trapp family singers. Then uh, they decided to add a few original songs from Rodgers and Hammerstein. And then <laughs> it quickly snowballed and became a full-fledged musical. Only after the success of the show on Broadway did the idea come about for it to be adapted back into an American movie musical. 
That's so convoluted, but yeah. probably the best case scenario for the source materials. So yeah. there's at least that. Can I read the synopses? Yeah. So first we have from IMDb. A young novice is sent by her convent in 1930s Austria to become a governess to the seven children of a widowed naval officer. All right. All right. We got the base ingredients there. Then letterboxed. A tomboyish postulant at an Austrian <laughs> abbey becomes a governess in the home of a widowed naval captain with seven children and brings a new love of life and music into the home. Very cute. I like that one. I didn't know what the word postulant meant, like, until I watched the movie again, mm -hmm. like, this time around. Because it sounds like such a negative thing to call someone, but it's not. Yeah. And then lastly... Rotten Tomatoes. A tuneful, heartwarming story. It is based on the real-life story of the Von Trapp family singers, one of the world's best-known concert groups in the era immediately preceding World War II. Julie Andrews plays the role of Maria, the tomboyish postulant <laughs> at an Austrian <laughs> abbey who becomes a governess in the home of a widowed naval captain with seven children and brings a new love of life and music into the home. They love to call her a tomboyish postulant, it turns out. Yeah not wrong and postulant means like potential none none right. in training yeah also i just wanted to point out that i am wearing austrian coin earrings yes <laughs> that mom mom provided yeah. right got them for christmas i'm um, wearing my period piece necklace for yeah. this recording yeah <laughs> um I'm also noticing i have setting powder on my shoulder now that's good Okay, taglines. There's a whole bunch of them because um, they're all from like different releases and different times. I love the tagline section. <laughs> yes. So, okay. Yeah. The first one, this is like the original one. Radiance that floods the screen and warms the heart. The more you see it, the more it becomes one of your favorite things. Wow. And then this one's from the Australia Christmas 1971 re-release. <laughs> um, a Christmas welcome back to the happiest holiday sound. <laughs> like, it's not a holiday movie, but okay. Well, I was going to say, when um, I was watching it, I was like, this isn't a Christmas movie, but it has deep Christmas movie energy. I, for, it's it's like all purpose for me. It's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so actually, I would call it like a summer movie. I think it's more of a summer Spring and summer. There's something to the wholesomeness of it that I think is Christmas for a lot of people. Yeah. The 1973 reissue, the wait is over. You can thrill again to the happiest sound in all the world. Oh, wow. Okay. And then we've got with songs they have sung for a thousand years. My heart wants to sing every song it hears. Mm -hmm. The hills are alive with the sound of music. The hills fill my heart with the sound of music. The happiest <laughs> sound in all the world. And the 2000 video re-release re was the timeless classic every family should share. I like should. Yeah. Like, we recommend that you share this. Yep. You want to do this cast. <laughs> oh, man. You did all of the kids. Yep. All right. All right. Okay. This cast. So we have Julie Andrews as Maria. Obviously, I can't believe Audrey's letting me talk about Julie Andrews right now. And <laughs> she's really, really famous for this movie and Mary Poppins. Obviously, to the core audience of 
this uh, podcast, Princess Diaries. She is the queen in Princess Diaries. Also, she's really well known for Victor and Victoria, Shrek 2, and she's the narrator in Bridgerton. She was like a Broadway star for a while before she got into movies. She's like child actor. Yeah, she's like a, she did like vaudeville and all that. She's like that type of person. Love her. You should listen to her autobiography if you haven't yet. It's really good. Listen to, because I'm an audiobook bitch, but, or you can read if you're really uh, smart and focused. That is not me. Okay. (sighs) Next I have Christopher Plummer as Georg Von Trapp. He is best known for Beginners, Remember, The Insider, All the Money in the World, and Knives Out, which was probably one of his last things he was in because he died recently. And then we have the serving C-word individual (laughs) of this movie, Eleanor Parker as the Baroness, best known for Sound of Music, Caged, Interrupted Melody, and Detective Story. And then we got Peggy Wood as Mother Abbess, Mother Abbess, however we're saying it, best known for Sound of Music, The Story of Ruth, and The Right to Live. Okay, now we're getting into these kids. So we have Charmian Carr as Liesl Von Trapp, the 16-year-old. Her only acting credit is this movie, which is kind of wild to me. She left the business after marrying a dentist in 1967. She became a mother and eventually a grandmother and started her own interior design company. Fun fact, Michael Jackson gave her a job because he loved Sound of Music so much. (laughs) That's actually really cute. Yeah. Um, Also, fun fact I saw when I was making Audrey's pop quiz, which we'll get to later, is that all... No, it's, I think it's fair. All of her high notes were dubbed by her sister, which is very Haley and Hillary Duff vibes Aww, to me. That's cute. I know. Yeah. She also has a, like a name that starts with a C. I almost said the C word name. That is not correct. Okay. Then we have Heather Menzies Ulrich, who plays Louisa. She's known for Sound of Music, Piranha, Logan's Run, Literally. And. <laughs> the Love Boat. Next, we have Nicholas Hammond, Friedrich, best known for this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Stealth, and lots of other things. We have Dwayne Chase as Kurt. He's best known for Santa <laughs> Music and two other credits, both in 1966. Good for him. Child actor. Have, <laughs> yes. Angela Cartwright as Brigitte Von Trapp. She is still working in the business as of 2019. She was also working as a child actor before The Sound of Music, unlike a lot of the other kids. You know what? She has the vibe she of a working it. professional. Yeah. She has it. She is all business, yeah. which is so funny. Then we have Debbie Turner as Marta. She was a party guest in 1979's <laughs> North Dallas 40, LOL. So definitely best known for Sound of Music. It's so then funny. We have Kim Carrath, <laughs> Sound of Music, The Thrill of It All, Lost in Space, All My Children, and a lot of things. She has continued to be booked and blessed. Then we have Daniel Truheight as Rolf. This movie, he was in this movie and one music video in 2017. (laughs) Interesting. He was probably hard to cast after he was a demonic Nazi boyfriend in this movie. And then we cannot understate Norma Varden as Frau Schmidt. Gentlemen prefer blondes, strangers on a train. Then this movie, impressive. Where is Uncle Max, though? Yeah, I forgot him. 
Okay, we got del- he got deleted. It's fine. And then, of course, we have to give an extra shout out to the voice dubbers who made the people that were probably going to butcher their songs sound great. So we have Bill Lee, who dubbed for Captain Von Trapp, and Marjorie McKay for Mother Abess, as well as the unnamed children who helped <laughs> fill out the kids' songs. It was like a well-known children's chorus that yeah. built out the stuff. Budget was $8.2 million, and the worldwide gross is $286,240. 14,195. Okay, and now we're going into critic and audience opinions. The critic score was 83%, and the consensus on Rotten Tomatoes was unapologetically sweet and maybe even a little corny. The Sound of Music will win over all but the most cynical filmgoers with its classic songs and irresistible warmth. True. True. <laughs> true. So true. A few more critic opinions. It is composed of taste, excitement, heart, and mind, and more than any other individual, the one who put it there and kept it there was Robert Wise. Another person said, it's totally schmaltzy and highly effective. (laughs) Uh, Singing nuns and gun-toting Nazis, something for everyone. (laughs) Great. Um, And then I went back to the original Hollywood Reporter review for the movie just to see Mm -hmm. what they said. They said there are many reasons why this musical, from the lilting intelligence of Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein, is such an enthralling success. Credit producer-director Robert Wise, first of all, for his consummate skill in organizing and guiding it. But the talent that gives it the final lift is unquestionably that of Julie Andrews. This lady is not just a great star. She is a whole whirling, dazzling constellation. She is not just an ordinary movie personality. She is a phenomenon. Once there was Mary Pickford, then there was Garbo, now there is Julie. She is very likely going to be the object of one of the most intense and sustained love affairs between moviegoers and a star in the history of motion pictures. Damn. 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 They're not wrong, but it's also interesting because she did have a weird career moment later on. She did. Which, <laughs> if we had a Patreon, we would do the bonus episode on the history of Julie Andrews, but yeah. we uh, don't. <laughs> but you should look into it. Again, um, read or listen to her autobiography and you will learn about that. It's very interesting. Okay, Common Sense Media. Is there a movie more ripe for Common Sense Media? I don't think so. <laughs> All right. So, According to Common Sense Media, The Sound of Music stands out for positive messages and positive role models. Parents need to know that The Sound of Music is rich in character, music, and story, as well as filled with positive messages. In the final 10 minutes, there are a number of suspenseful scenes that may be frightening for some children, including the main character being held at gunpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Calling the captain the main character is an interesting statement. Kids might be curious to learn more about Nazis in World War II after watching this movie. (laughs) How many kids' World War II obsessions were launched from this movie? (laughs) There's some moderate alcohol consumption and one character smokes. The romantic scenes are limited to gentle embraces and brief chaste kisses. Ooh, (laughs) chaste. I actually kind of have to disagree. I feel like it's kind of steamy. I think it's steamy. It was a little steamy. I was surprised. Okay. Audrey, what about this? What about these audience opinions? The audience score is 91% and the letterboxed average star rating is four stars. Really good. Really good scores. Mm-hmm. There were some funny reviews on Letterboxd that I saw. Reading the negative reviews for this movie on Letterboxd <laughs> just further proves to me that the site's community is a cynical, sad, broken hellscape. <laughs> True. Um, yes. The hills are alive with the sound of hot young Christopher Plummer. 
Someone said top quality even today. Mm. I agree. I swear to God, I experienced the full range of human emotion during the two minutes <laughs> Christopher Plummer sings Edelweiss. Yes. <laughs> My boyfriend is a Nazi. Story time, not clickbait. <laughs> and finally, I had doubts about this, but then Maria blew that whistle at the captain and suddenly I decided this was the greatest movie ever made. God save the queen. Yes. So true. So cultural context I'm going to do the briefest breakdown of World <laughs> War II history. Do not hold me accountable for this information. Yes. And if you're listening to this and you're like, why the hell are we talking about Nazis and World War II? <laughs> the movie is set like right before the onset of World War II when Austria is like being closed in on by the Third Reich and whatnot. And there's like swastikas in the movie and stuff. So this is the context, Audrey. Thank yeah. you for doing this. <laughs> yes, yes. So first of all, basic facts. World War II lasted for six years, 1939 to 1945. It began September 1st, 1939 with the German invasion of Poland. It ended when the German armed forces surrendered to the Allies on May 7th, 1945. And that went into effect on May 8th. As early as 1925, through the publication of Mein Kampf, Hitler, who was in his early, early career at that time, it made it clear that he wanted to unite Germans across Europe and reconstitute territories such as Austria. And that right there is where this story takes place. These are from historyhit.com. Gonna <laughs> name my source. Uh, yes. I found a good list of reasons why World War II happened because context. I feel like an A-push teacher right now. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to sound like I'm reading because I am reading. The Treaty of Versailles fueled a tension between left-wing Jewish people and Germans. The second reason is economic downturns in Germany. There was a recession and hyperinflation at the time. I mean, we've seen it in our lives how economic downturns can affect like the vulnerability of a population when they're looking for a leader. Mm -hmm. The third reason is the Nazi ideology. Um, Hitler used German nationalism post-World War I as leverage to create a national divide and fueled white supremacy. The fourth reason, rise of extremism and forging of alliances, Nazi Germany and fascist Italy, Hitler and Mussolini bonded. And finally, the U.S.'s failure to intervene from the beginning. Mm -hmm. They we are, This country waited a long time to actually yeah. intervene, and Britain and France were kind of left hanging in their attempts to mm -hmm. stop the war before it got to where it got. Russia was, like, going in uh, on the ally side, like they were super strong anti-Nazi. You think of World War II when you think of like World War II propaganda and you think of America, like all of it together. But it was actually like Russia that took, that had the most casualties by far. It's really, really interesting. You should also look into that. Okay, and then really fast, the differences between the real story of the Von Trapps and the musical The Sound of Music. First of all, there were 10 Von Trapp children. Maria came as a tutor for one child and not a governess for all of them. Maria and Captain were married 11 years before leaving Austria instead of like a month. And yeah. <laughs> they actually escaped by pretending they were going on vacation to Italy the day before the borders closed. Once arrived, they made plans to go to the U.S. So unfortunately, they were not actually climbing every mountain on foot. 
as a conclusion. No, really sad. Yeah, the, the, most of these changes are they're they're very like time and convenience based. They're not like yes. important historical changes. So yes. Getting into when we first watched this and what we remember, like, Audrey needs to take the wheel because (laughs) this is, like, an integral part of her soul, I would say. Yeah, But I actually don't know when I first saw it because it's just my whole life. Like, ever since I can remember, I loved it. So I kind of feel like Grandma Irene was probably the root because she was, like, a golden age musical person yeah like we watched funny girl with her we watched west side story with her mm-hmm. like she introduced some i'm really like thankful for that in retrospect yeah. because like yeah. our parents would not have naturally thought oh no, they were not musical people no They're still not but it had yeah. me fooled like my whole childhood like i feel like i like didn't understand that our parents didn't like musicals or like I think specifically mom like dad probably, I feel like dad fakes it dad I think was dad, in musicals dad likes me he likes I think he can appreciate a musical for sure but like he our mom was can. the one who was home with us all the time so like mm-hmm. she would not have naturally thought to put on the sound of music no we should ask her how it started I bet yeah. she might know something about that movie it just clicked with my childhood brain and I think I don't know Julia Andrews as a figure or like even like as a lead character is kind of different because she was always she was given like she's most known for these nurturing roles they always mm-hmm. are relevant to children But she's always, she's not sexualized. She's positive. She's like independent, but she's still kind of like going through shit at the same time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just something about the roles that she gets that resonates with me and her voice, obviously. Well, I was going to also briefly tell the story of seeing her. So, like, obviously, it had been a main stress in my life as she was getting older and I was getting older that I would (laughs) never see her in person. I was like, how the fuck am I going to see Julie Andrews in person? Like, she doesn't do, she's not out in these streets. And then one day I got an email from the 92Y, which is like a place in Manhattan that has talkbacks for like books and shows and stuff like that. It was Julie Andrews doing a Q&A because she released a new autobiography. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, like I will go by myself 100%. Like this will be a spiritual experience. <laughs> and it was, it really was. I was like dead center. I wasn't in the front, but I was like in the middle, in the center kind of. Mm-hmm. And me and all the gays around me were just losing our shit. <laughs> like, it was crazy. Like, um, if any of you are intense Ariana Grande stands, you might know who Doug Middlebrook is. He was there, mm-hmm. you know, like all the gays were there. It was incredible. Fills me with a lot of respect for the gay man community that there would actually be a large contingent of gay men. Of yeah. gay men. Of gay men there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were certainly a lot of older women there, too. Perfect demographic. Yeah, I feel like I was, you know, the girls and gays were there, but it was like the women and gays. <laughs> the women and the gays. Yeah. I, the things I remember from watching this movie as a kid is that mom, we're going to come back to this, but mom had a lot of, like, qualms with 16 going on 17. You need someone 
older and wiser Telling you what to do I am 17 Going on 18 I'll take care of you I do think there's a really interesting conversation to be had about like the really weird messages about being a teenage girl in this movie, mm-hmm. which is relevant to Sleepover. So we'll yeah. have to come back to that. So Josh had never seen it. He watched it with me. And I kept telling him all the different points that we would stop the movie as kids. So yes. like sometimes we would stop it after she left the house because it faded to black and it was confusing. Sometimes we would stop it right after the wedding because that might have even happened because mom might have been like, I don't want to deal with the Nazi stuff. Yeah. Because I feel like I've seen the last chunk of that movie so much less than I've seen the rest of it. Also, we used to fast forward through the Maria and Captain Love song and we would also fast forward through Climb Every Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> um. Which is disrespectful looking back at it, but we had, we, we were, we had, we had to do. and also it's a long movie. Like it's, it's already so a lot to ask, like that ki- us as kids even wanted to watch a three hour yeah. long movie. Like it was already long. <laughs> I, there's just so many lines from this movie. I, when I was oh, watching it, yeah, I was doing it Rocky Horror styled because I was by myself just to like see how much of it I could do. And yeah, I can yeah. do most of it. For example, this is like just a random one, but like, except for every meal. <laughs> like that. Yeah. No, I was thinking about you as a kid being like, except for every meal. Also, um, I had a bunch of those like that too. Like right before the party when Gretel's like, it'll be it's my, my first, first party, party yeah. Uh Also in um, the reprise of... Strawberries? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of a dumb a deer, a female deer. That song, the reprise, when she's like, fa, like really loud. <laughs> There's, oh, and we can't forget. Haven't you ever, haven't you ever heard of a little a thing little- called boarding school? Uh, oh, it- and really importantly, um, two pink productions comes from the scene in Sound of Music when he's drinking the lemonade and he's like, it's just too pink. Yeah. That's where it came from. Yeah. I wrote that down too. And just like, I literally actually used the song My Favorite Things to calm my own anxiety as a kid. Yep. Like I I fully would sing it to myself and it worked. You were a really anxious child, too. So that really goes to speak to the strength of the material. Julie Andrews' parenting skills. <laughs> Seriously. It's like Megan. But instead of, instead of having Megan, you have Julie Andrews. Yeah, it is like Megan. <laughs> um... Yeah, let's just let's just get to the other side. All right, we will be back. Sound of Music is extremely accessible on Disney Plus. Love that for everyone in this community. And we will be back to talk about our thoughts about the movie and also for Audrey to take this quiz that I made for her. So if there's any movie that you haven't seen that we've covered that you should see, it's this one. Okay, so if you haven't seen it, please, please do me the honor. Yes.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. It is time for perhaps the most high stakes evaluation of Audrey's life, which is <laughs> a Sound of Music pop quiz curated I'm by me. I'm scared you made it too hard. I did not make it too hard. Okay. I think I think it might actually be too easy because before we did this, Audrey was like, I don't want to be... I'm scared to do a quiz because if I flop it, it will be too demoralizing and humiliating. If you do... So, like, I feel like if it was like a dialogue check, like a script check, I could do that. Like finish the line type of thing. Some of them are kind of like that. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. There's only one that I think is actually hard. How many governesses have worked for the Von Trapp family before Maria arrives? Let me know if you want the choices. Yeah. Give me the choices. Was it 20? Was it 10? Was it 30? Or was it 11? I feel like it's 11. Ding, ding, ding. It's okay. 11. He goes, you are the 12th in a long line of governesses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, great. Okay, this one I think you're going to get with no issues. Which child ends up blowing the children's cover of having been picking berries when they were actually uh, trying to visit Maria? Friedrich. Yes, Friedrich. Yeah. Good job. Okay, this one's kind of hard. What is the name of the woman who bows a I million times at the festival? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. That's literally what I thought the last question was going to be. That's so When you funny. were confused. Oh, my God. I know exactly what she looks like, obviously. <laughs> I have options if you want. Them. Yeah, give me the I'll know it with the options. All right. Is it Fraulein Mueller? Fraulein Stosser? Fraulein Schweiger? Yeah. Or line writer. The C. Schweiger. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, good. Good job. <laughs> okay, there's two more. What are the three favorite things Maria lists before she starts singing my favorite things? Daffodils. Rainbows? Or it's daffodils. No. Daffodils is one of them, yes. isn't it? Daffodils is the first one. Rainbows is not far off in the terms of like how it would feel when you're saying it. Do you remember the third one? Pillows? <laughs> oh. It's something like... It has, has an O-W-S at the end. Uh-huh. Oh, is it is it Pussy Willows? No. <laughs> That's what one of the kids says later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, say, I, they say pussy twice in this movie. I know. Green Meadows. Green Meadows, yeah. And then there's one more. I don't know. Skies full of stars. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And now number five. This one 
It's kind of hard. What are the four gifts that the Baroness jokes about giving to the captain? Oh, <laughs> a fountain <laughs> pen, a trip around uh-huh. the world. Uh-huh. Um, God, um, like a car or something? Mm-mm. Oh. It's similar, though, kind of. It's a mode of transportation. What? What's a mode? What's a mode of transportation that's not a car that she could buy? I feel like those are the two that I know is the fountain pen okay. and the trip around the world. Okay. Do you want the other two? Yeah. A yacht. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a villa in the south of France, but they're so hard to gift wrap. Right, right. <laughs> that was admittedly hard and you did a good job. I'm going to give that to you. Yeah, I'm happy with that performance. Yes, me too. Okay, now that we've done that... Where do we even begin? Well, I just want to begin with the fact that I had to keep a crying tally in this watch. The grand total was eight times. And (laughs) it never hits when you think it will. Like, that's what's funny. Obviously, I had... I had some wine, so, you know, that's like a a lubricant for this kind of thing. Yes, yes. But it's like, it's almost like a Pavlovian response. Like, I don't even think I would have to drink wine to just, to cry. Like, I think think it would just happen. Do you Um, remember when it happened? I can remember some of them. One of them, like, this one was weird to me. That beautiful shot. It literally was the beauty of the shot, I think, that that (laughs) got me. When they're all skipping, they're on the way to playing um when they're dressed in the drapes it's like yeah they're all I know what you're gonna say they're skipping and then Gretel trips it's that yeah. shot when that, they're like up against the, the river yeah. or whatever yeah it is really good also uh, it's that sweet like piano version of the song yeah yeah I love that whole sequence mm-hmm. um one of them oddly okay this watch I don't think I ever, like, felt the emotion of the something good scene. But this time, uh-huh. I felt the emotion of the something good scene. And then wow. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think had I not cried all the times before that, I would not have cried right there. But it was yeah. like, it was like a train that kept going. I cried Edelweiss, of course. Um, yes. But even the second time. Like, the second time, I think, actually got me more because, obviously, uh-huh. the stakes are higher. Blossom of snow, may you bloom and grow, bloom and grow forever. Edelweiss, bless my homeland forever. But I remember always thinking that Christopher Plummer's performance was weird in that second time because he looks like he is like fully dissociating. Like he looks like he like forgot who he was or something. I did see when I was preparing your quiz that he in the DVD commentary said that he was drunk during that filming. (laughs) I heard I heard, though, that you had that you describe your behavior during some of that time as unconscionable. Yeah. Is it true you were drinking every night? Oh, yeah, in Austria, it's wonderful there. I, I got, 
<laughs> oh yeah, I know literally so much behind the scenes shit about this movie. It's incredible. I was gonna say, I can't believe you didn't bring up the downdraft. Yeah, like I've heard Julie Andrews tell the story of filming that opening shot on the hill a million times where she'll always be like, She'll always, I wish I could do like a good impersonation, but she'll, she'll always say that like when the helicopter was coming towards her, the downdraft from it, like would like blow her down basically after the helicopter passed. So she kept getting like smushed to the ground and then they would do another take and blah, blah, blah. We should make a super cut of her saying that story. (laughs) Like the stars Stars born, like the stars born thing. Yes. What were you, what do you remember about that opening scene that is now so iconic? Oh my Lord, what, I I remember it vividly. Uh, I walked across the field from one end and the helicopter came across from the other end down through the trees and we met almost and then I made my big turn and they cut. Well, we had to do it several times, but what I didn't know was that the downdraft from that helicopter was fierce. It was a jet helicopter. Uh So every time we got the shot, I made my turn, and then the helicopter went around me to start again. Every time it went around me, it just leveled me into the grass. (laughs) But by about the tenth take, I, I got so angry, and I thought, I don't have to fall down. And down I went again, and so I was spitting mud and hay and everything else. Finally, I said to the helicopter pilot, could you just take a wider turn around me and- And stop knocking me down. Stop knocking me down. But of course he didn't understand and I just got a thumbs up and let's do it again, you know. Um, she, I mean, she's been telling the same stories now for like 50 years. Like I, yeah, her patience for it really is incredible. And like, she's Mm -hmm. so, she's so, she just has so much gratitude for the experience that she like, doesn't mind playing into people's love for it, which is so nice, you know, whereas like Christopher Plummer totally was more of like a gruff personality. He actually was like scared to not scared, but he was. Uh, hesitant to do The Sound of Music because of how potentially, what's that word that he always uses? Saccharin? Saccharin. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I hear you had some nicknames in the beginning for The Sound of Music. It was pretty kind of delicate stuff because it could have run overboard and become very mawkish and sentimental. So, and we, there were a lot of nuns present all the time, mm-hmm. which always makes you feel a little bit irreverent. <laughs> it does me. So I called it... Uh, one day I called it, well, the sound of mucus is so... <laughs> oh, no! Kind of, but there needed to be a cynic of some kind around to, to stop it from going to getting too... Yeah, I, I think we all felt that, that, that if we weren't careful, the film could have been dreadfully... Dreadfully. Saccharine. Saccharine. Yeah. So, like, his main focus working with Robert Wise was, like, finding ways to, like, ground it or, like, make it more real somehow... Imagine being that big of a douche. Yeah. Enjoy your thing. It kind of reminds me of Robert Pattinson talking about Twilight a little bit, mm -hmm. but worse. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is similar to that. I think that, well, him and him and Julie do did have like a sweet like relationship, like friendship. Yeah. But he definitely has a different outlook on him. He has an actor complex a little bit is what it seems like to me. Yeah. I mean, everything about I Have Confidence is like top tier musical and also top tier filmmaking choices. Like, 
Everything looks so good. And one thing that really um, actually enhanced my appreciation of the choices made in this movie is that we just watched West Side Story, um, the one from the 60s. And it is so... It's like seeing how strong his choices were for West Side Story makes you realize that his choices were actually equally strong for The Sound of Music, yeah. just in a really different way. No, like, he's he's very... He's like a visionary in the genre, for yeah, sure. Like, the utilization of the real settings. Like, the fact that the back of the house actually looked like that with, like, the view of the mountain and, like, the lake and everything. Yeah. Unreal. It looks so good. It's so immersive. It's actually yeah. a lot more immersive than West Side Story because, like, a lot yeah. of the sets on West Side Story are clearly sound stages. But I don't mind it because it it's like this kind of otherworldly version of the world. Uh-huh. Um, but Sound of Music is so immersive because they're really there. It kind of, like makes you notice that it's a musical less. Like when they start singing, because you've got the mix of diegetic songs and non-diegetic songs, it just feels natural all the way around. And just like the gentle energy of this movie versus like the super intense energy of West Side Story, you're like, oh. Yeah. He he really... He doesn't do the thing where he's like, this is my directing trademark. I'm going to make everything fall into this category. He's like, let me serve the material in a lovely way. We have to talk about the Liesl situation because I always loved 16 going on 17. I think a little bit because I like wasn't supposed to like it. Like that was part of it. But also like it is catchy and the whole number of it, the whole choreography of it is like classic and perfect. It's beautiful. It's like, you can't hate this. Like, Feminism aside, also, it's historically accurate. So there's mm-hmm. that. Um, and she's just like, she has a crush. Like, it's just, it to me, the, the crushness of it can overshadow the, I don't know, sexism, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, well, of course it's sexist. It's supposed, it is. That's what it is. Like, well, I feel like it's, it's, it's just so on the nose that yeah. it's like a little bit like hard to watch, but not in the way where you're like, this is offending me. More that it's like secondhand embarrassing because it's so earnestly on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe, you know, a part of that too is just that they are both clearly in their 20s. If they yes. really were 16 I think that could come through and and be more like less cringy or just a little easier to accept because it is a crushy it's supposed to be a 16 year old with a crush like they both are into each other and so yeah I think if they weren't so old looking yeah that's definitely part of it and then they also just kind of seem like narcs like yeah it's just a weird vibe to them yeah I find and I I know we have to have something critical or something yeah. other than just praise. I find Liesl to be a really weird character. Yeah. Because she's so, like, chipper. Like, even when she finds out that her boyfriend is a Nazi, she's still, like, pretty chipper. I'm just going to defend it. Why not? I don't care. Yeah, why not? Um, you might as well. The kids don't understand the context of of what's going on. Like, politically, I think yeah. they kind of don't know what's happening at all. 
So it's not like, um, it's not like she understands the gravity of the situation. I don't think she necessarily does. She just looks too old. She just looks like she should understand it, but she doesn't. Right. I think that that's part of what makes it so weird. And also her eyes are so big and blue and she's always just like, yeah, so on. She's like 10 out of 10 on. I'm 16. (laughs) What's such a baby about that? What's such a baby about that? (laughs) Um, Well, I don't know. Maybe that you're 28. (laughs) Right. Like you're definitely not 16. Um, The other thing though is like, the way that that whole arc like end caps with like the Julie Andrews and yeah. Liesl version of it, that is actually the part that kind of makes me the most confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, be- I get, I get the intention that she's like, you're an over eager teenager, like cool your jets. That's fine. But the part that's weird to me is like, that Julie is also delivering it in this way where it yeah. feels like she's reflecting on her own, like... It just hasn't been very long. Yeah. And, yeah. and when she was like, lo and behold, you're someone's wife, dot, 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 She looks at the camera or, like, looks around for so long and then says, and you belong to him. I'm like, what? Okay. So I'm not making this argument because... We are sick of this argument on the show. Oh, no. However, who is do you it know now? where I'm going? Do you oh, know where I'm going? That Maria is gay? It's not that Maria is gay, per se. It's that I could see someone writing Baroness Maria fanfic very oh, easily. Yeah. Based off the way they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And especially because, okay, I, I know I'm doing the thing that I hate, but, like, the way that, like, when the Baroness follows her up there and she, like, changes into the other dress, she's like, he would hardly be a man if he didn't notice you. You're so enchanting and beautiful and blah, blah, blah. Because she delivers it in this very, like, earnest way. Yeah. That I'm almost like, when I was a kid, I was super confused by her character. Because she's not quite a villain, no. But she's not quite a protagonist I, that's, either. That's what I like. That's what I like yeah. about her, that she she doesn't get jealous in the way that you would assume that someone, that her character would. Um, yeah. I think she's really controlled about it, and she almost, like, manipulated the situation kind of perfectly without looking like a villain, which is, like, ideal. I would say... Yes, I would agree with that, except that I think that the sexual tension between Julie and Christopher Plummer is, like, really real. It is absolutely there. I just feel like there are moments where it feels love triangle in a kind of gay way to me. Yeah. I could just see it. But I also kind of wonder, because in the stage show, my understanding is that the Baroness is, like, a little bit more of a villain in that she's, like, really complacent politically. I kind of wonder if they, like, played that down so maybe so an actress would take the part, especially because it was so recently post-World War II. Like, that's one thing I'm really curious about, and I tried to research things about it, but I couldn't really find that much, which is, like, how controversial was it to, like, fully have swastikas on screen only, like, 25 years after yeah. 
this happened. And I did find something interesting, which was that when they went to Austria to film it, the director like met with like the mayor and was like, we're going to need to do this. Yeah. And the mayor was like, it's fine. The populace has already lived through this once. Like they can do it again. But then other city officials were like, no, no, no. So they ended up using like news footage for a lot of the stuff with swastikas in it. Do you think... That the Baroness should have a song. She did in the stage show. I know, but two. in the movie. Um, I get why they would cut it, honestly, but it would be kind of fun. Uh, I think it would be cool to see, but I don't think it needs it. Yeah. It doesn't need anything kind of, for runtime. but like, Yeah. I like that she's kind of like a little mysterious. Yeah. Also, when I was a kid, I was like, is that Marilyn Monroe? Yeah. Oh, that's what they're going for. Yeah. I mean, her uh, face, like even down to her facial expressions, she like does a very similar thing with her face. That red dress she wears with the soft focus when they break up and she's just like, I'll pack my little bags and return to Vienna where I belong. I'm like, yeah. When she's like, I need someone who needs me desperately or at least my money. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) she's actually great. Like, I know. After Maria decided she was going to leave and then she comes back down and she's like, I feel like celebrating. Uh, that was yeah. like the one actually shady part. And the that boarding and school. And talking about boarding school. Yeah. yeah. But like that oh. was probably how she was raised. Like, <laughs> Right. She's like, it's a rite of passage. I also, when I was a kid, like fully believed that she was doing her best and that she just kind of <laughs> sucked with kids. Yeah. So did I. Which is kind of true, but I also feel like she was really pretty, so we just assumed she was nice. Okay, I have some, like, random points I could go through. Okay. It took me a really long time to understand the whole telegram stop thing. Like... Yes. I didn't know... Like, you're not born with the knowledge that to, like, enter a new sentence or, like, a new line on a telegram, you'd say stop at the end. So whenever they're doing that thing, I was like, what are they talking about? Like, stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, there's a joke on it. Like, it's just... It was a lot for me to understand. When they're doing... When they're having their little picnic and the kids are like, how else will we get father's attention but to, like, play pranks and stuff? And then Maria goes, like, well, we'll have to think about that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I like that line. Me too. When Mother Abbess is like, you have to find your life. Live the life you were born to lead. I was like, okay, Gaga. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, I was also like, she is such a good symbol of like an actually loving and forgiving God. Yeah, because she doesn't, she's not shaming. No. Also though, when she was like, love between a man and a woman is holy too. I was like, (laughs) but the fact that like Maria had to be told that is like interesting. I also was thinking about her backstory. Literally all we get of Maria's backstory is that she grew up by the Abbey and when she Mm -hmm. she would uh, hear them singing and would be like having fun on the hill or whatever. And that is the reason that she joined. Like there is no, so like the combination of the music and the like nature essentially is like the reason that she thought that she should be a nun. And also like the structure of it, probably she was looking for. 
It yeah. also feeds into the gay thing, but I'm not going to say anything else other than that. Mac, Uncle Max is also gay as hell. <laughs> he is. Gotta say that. He's oh, like... We also forgot to talk about wealthy, unattached little me from yeah. the Baroness. Wait, well, you, have you seen those tweets recently that's like, there's always a sinister... Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> sinister gay. Yeah. Yep. That's them. That's the Baroness and Max. Absolutely. We got to get that tweet out there yeah. ASAP. You're so right. So we need to wrap up momentarily here because of timing. But don't you feel like the captain is a little stupid? Yeah, I do. They Those ladies play him like a goddamn fiddle. Yeah. I uh, uh, <laughs> was really noticing that this time. Yeah, he's a little dumb. But like we stand. <laughs> I mean, he's hot. So who cares? Right. Um, you know what other line as a last note? <laughs> I think is so funny. I wonder what grass tastes like. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that. I did not remember that line being there. Like, why the fuck does he say that? <laughs> because say they're not going to get their dinner. So he's like, what yeah. are we going to eat instead? I wonder um, what grass I, tastes like. I love him. Oh my God. Gretel also makes really funny faces. If you watch her. Oh, yeah. I in, watch her a lot. In the shots that she's not talking, which is most shots, she's yep. she's always making some weird faces. Or just like struggling to remember choreography and not yeah. lip syncing. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. She's it's so cute. I know we kind of talked about it in the beginning, but like, why is this your favorite movie? This one's got everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Julie Andrews, music that is pretty and fun to sing. Mm -hmm. A story that is historically important, question mark. A compelling love story, I think. Mm -hmm. I didn't mm -hmm. always care about that, though. That was not, like, yeah. my number one thing. But watching it as an adult, I'm like, no, like, I... This, this does feel legitimate to me. Seven kids. I think I enjoy, I enjoy the like. The ensemble cast. The ensemble cast. Uh-huh. There's amazing cinematography, editing, costume design, production design, choreography, blocking, mm -hmm. the visuals. The, the combination of diegetic music and non-diegetic music is like, I love that. That's one of my favorite yeah. things. My favorite things. Ha ha ha. Um, yeah, I just, I have no qualms. When I was watching it this time, I was like, what is this movie really about? Like, what is it other than just like a fun time? And I feel like the fact that the point of it is like, to embrace good things when they come to you, like love and music and family, like you do deserve good things and you can let them in. Without uh, fear. You have to live the life you were born to live. And yeah, you can't kind of, you yeah. can't escape your problems. You have to face them. Yep. And find, find your life. Yeah, find, yeah, you find your life. Find your life. Yeah. And have confidence when you do. <laughs> and when you're 16 going on 17. 16 going on 17 is the sequel to when you're 15 and someone tells you they love you. Yeah. Spiritual successor. Yeah. Um, and there, it touches on grief in some ways, too. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted them to go more into the grief. I was like, why are we glazing over the grief? But yeah, it's fine. 
It, it's, it's got emotion in all areas. The dark, there's seriously dark tones that they downplay a lot. Yeah. Mm, it, I think it does speak a little bit to like finding the joy where you can find it, even in dark times. In dark times, yeah. I mean, yeah. we can obviously on a different scale, but we, we can all relate to that, what we've been through since 2020. Yeah. Like it's a different I mean, kind of trauma, but we absolutely, it's similar in that, you know, regardless of if it's war or it's a virus or whatever it is, um, like, I feel like our brains don't really know the difference between, like, when people are dying on a mass scale. Yeah. The, I feel like it does manifest in a similar way. Your body doesn't know the difference. Yeah. And, yeah, we can all relate yeah. to that. I feel like, for me personally, like, lockdown and COVID and everything changed a ton about me, but my ability to enjoy small things and, like, find joy in things that are, like, small scale has increased a lot. That's really valuable because you'll always have that. You'll always be able to appreciate a small thing. Yeah. Such as raindrops on roses. <laughs> and whiskers on kittens. I, perhaps a bright copper kettle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even some warm woolen mittens. <laughs> Throw it in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> We could keep going for literally the entire movie, just yeah. saying it like this back and forth. It's sad. Um, I wish I could have quoted more lines, but oh well. The thing is, that's just holding everyone hostage. <laughs> we can just do that together next time we're in the same room. I know. It's just, <sighs> I just have to prove that I really am the number one fan of this movie. Yeah. I have a fucking collector's set under my bed. I, I have know. this... All this and shit. I, pl- <laughs> I plucked that collector set from my friend Emma's dad's apartment in Astoria. I saw it. <laughs> I was like, you guys want this? And they were like, no. And then I brought it to Audrey. Yeah. I think this was an amazing way to start season seven. We have so many twists and turns coming up. Um, and you know what? We are going to be engaged. We are about to be engaged as hell. So. Yeah, I'm unemployed. Um, so this is my full-time job right now. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, Sound of Music is absolutely worth watching. Movie history, musical history, Hannah and Audrey Leach history. So if you haven't seen it, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Go check it out ASAP. Yep. But until next week, if you're just like craving for more from us, Audrey, where <laughs> could they do that? You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at sleepover cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. Please subscribe. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audriana Leach on everything. You can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And please join our Discord server at the link in the episode description or on evergreenpodcast.com if you haven't yet. Josh set us up with some resources for this Discord for Christmas, and we're going to do some experiments in the Discord this season. As always, you can check out our merch at twopinkproductions.com shop. We have everything you could ever want. Please give it a visit. And if you like the show, 
You know what you should do. Leave us a review. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. We'll see you next week for an exciting new format change. Bye. Bye. I didn't sing at all. <laughs> it's not too late. Give us a little something. Record it later and add it in. Okay. This is me asking for it. I'll do that. Do, do, a deer, a female deer, ray, a drop of golden sun. Me, a name I call myself, far, a long, long way to run. So, a needle pulling thread, la, a note to follow, so, tea, a drink with jam and bread, that will bring us back to dough, oh, oh, oh. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily... That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.